Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Folks, what I have to share with you this morning, I believe... I'm obviously changing tack a little bit, but I believe it follows very much on after what I shared with you last week. And I believe that even what we're experiencing here this morning is this realization of the fact that our God is an all-powerful God who brings us and desires to bring us to a place of life and victory through His Son, Jesus, where the experience of His life becomes the experience of our life. If all our experience of Christianity is, is coming to church, hearing messages, without the power of those messages shifting and changing our lives, the way we think, the way we do things, the way we see ourselves and our experiences, then it's not worth anything, is it? Do you agree? Our response to God's Word determines the way in which and the power it has within us and the degree to which it impacts and affects our lives. We all heard Selena cry out a moment ago, it's hard, yes, it's hard, but God is way more powerful. Yes, in this world we will have tribulations, but what did the Lord say to us? In the midst of them, be of good cheer. Why? For I have overcome the world. Last week we read from Romans chapter 8. And one of the verses we looked at was Romans 8 verse 31. And it says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's not some cliche. That's not some, oh, just random word that it has no meaning. If God is for us. That realization should fill us with such confidence, with such boldness, with such assurance of, of, of victory, such assurance of overcoming, such an awareness of His presence, that there's nothing around us that overwhelms us, that brings us down and holds us down. I want to say to you to get today... And the one thing I want you to leave with here this morning is this realization. God is backing you. God is behind you. He is for you. His desire is for you. And when we walk according to the instruction of the Lord, we know that He is backing us. God tells us over 300 times in Scripture, I am with you. 300 times, more than. What is he saying when he says that? He says, if I am with you, you don't need to worry. Why? Because I am more than enough. I am all that you're going to need. Whatever the situation is that you're facing, whether you're needing, whatever it is that you may be needing, God says, I am with you. That means in the midst of our situation, we have the, the privilege of being quiet and knowing that God is with me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? Who can overcome? How can I be overcome? Now, the context of this promise, obviously, 
is within the ambit of God's instruction. God is not your personal heavenly thug that helps you get what you want. He's not your, he's not your you know, heavenly bankroller. He'll give you everything you want whenever you want it. That's not what God is saying when He says, I've got you and I'm with you. God's saying, I've got a plan for you, and it's a wonderful plan. And if you walk in it, you will experience so much more of me than you could ever imagine. I am more than enough. God desires that we look to Him and we walk with Him so that His plan for our lives can be realized. Jeremiah 29, 11, we know the Scripture well. God says, I know the thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord. The plans for you are good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has a bright future in mind for you. It doesn't matter how old you are. (laughs) God still has a bright future in mind for you. He's got a bright plan in mind for you. And it is within the ambit of these plans that God promises to be with us and to bring His presence to bear on our behalf. That's good news, folks. Amen? Are you with me this morning? Say, God has a plan for me and my situation. It's a good plan. He is my plan. God will always back you according to His Word. That's what I really want you to get today. I'm going to say it a few times. Here's why. Because so often I think we, we go to our prayer closets, we pray, we, we, we hear the Lord, and then we kind of think that God's presence stays in the Bible when we close it. I used to have something called a Spirit-filled life Bible. and It's a, it's a study Bible, and it was Spirit-filled, so when I, I didn't want to open it in case the Spirit got out. No. God didn't stay in those pages. And I think so often when we, we have moments like this and we're aware of God's presence, or in a moment of trial when we pray and God speaks into our situation, we sense the nearness of His presence and we realize His love and His grace for us. But yet all too often we walk out the door and somehow those things seem, seem to remain in either a, an emotional place or a physical place or a, or a um, nostalgic place, which is separate somehow from my experience and what I'm working through and what I'm going through in this moment. That realization seems to dissipate in the heat of the sun of the battle that I'm facing. And I want to say to you, the reason God keeps saying, I am with you, I am backing you according to my word, is because He desires for you to experience the fullness of His life in the midst of those situations. To be so, we just sang the word, so tethered to His heart that we can live by it and experience it on the daily. Let me give to you some examples of the things Jesus promised. As he walked with his disciples, he said to, at the, at, at the end of, when he was commissioning his disciples, Mark 16, 17 to 18, he says, these signs will follow those who believe. He said, in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So these are the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. And if you go just a couple of verses later, it says, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. 
confirming the word. I'm reminded of Romans 12, verse 2, where, where Paul writes, he says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind, that you may prove for yourself what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. There is something within the Word of God which creates for us an expectation that those who truly believe the expectation will step out and apply and see the fruit of that expectation coming into manifestation. It's an expectation that exists outside of the realm of natural possibility. But God's Word points us, directs us, and calls us into that place. He does the same thing at the end of Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came and spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me. How much? Therefore, go and make disciples. In other words, as a result of this, know that I am sending you, so I am going with you. Verse 20, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God had a mission for them, and he promised them his presence in that mission. As they went out and fulfilled the mission, God's promise came to fruition. Amen? It did not come to fruition in the moment they were sitting there. But they began to experience the life and the power of God as they took the word that they had and began to apply it, began to live it out, as they went out and began to preach. Joshua 1 verse 9, God said to him, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord is with you wherever you go. And we know that Joshua is the one who led the nation of Israel to take into the promised land, and they took ownership or they, they defeated all the enemies that were in the land. Miraculously so, when you think of the battle of Jericho, for example. God gave him instruction. He did the, followed the instruction, and God came through. Why? Because God was backing Joshua according to his word. And I want to say, folks, nothing has changed. God is backing you according to his word. What is the word that he has given to you? And what is it that is holding you back? Is it fear? Is it doubt? Is it worry? You see, all of these things reveal to us the state of our hearts. They reveal to us and they show us where our faith truly lies or the lack of our faith or the extent of our unbelief. Let me give you another example from the book of Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Here we have a Jehoshaphat, who's the king, and he realizes that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others besides and the Amorites have come to do battle against him. So he's sitting in a situation now where there's things coming at him that he didn't expect. He, didn't know, he doesn't know what to do about these things. And a great multitude came against him. Verse 3 says, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast through all of Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. This is a really good pattern. He's sitting with a situation that comes at him that he does not know how to deal with. He's overwhelmed. He thinks, this is it. This is the end of me. How many of you have faced situations like that? 
You didn't know what to do. You thought, this is it. Maybe you're going through that at the moment. Maybe you're unclear about what the next step is. Jehoshaphat sets a good example. He says, he acknowledges, I was afraid. And so what he did was he called a fast and he went and he sought the Lord. Verse 12 says, he's praying and he says, Oh God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And in the midst of that assembly that was called to pray and to fast, somebody named Jehaziel stand up, stood up and said, Listen, all you Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, this is verse 15, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, and here comes the instruction, go down against them. Surely they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the brook, uh, at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jer- Jeruel. And you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Say, position yourselves. Very important statement. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear, here it comes, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Again, we have those words. This is what I want you to do. I want you to position yourself and know that I am with you. Does that seem logical? I'm sorry, but to me it doesn't seem logical. Just go and position yourself. That's it. That's all I want you to do. (laughs) You're facing a situation, and God says to you, all I want you to do is position yourself and wait upon me. But he says, position yourself. This is not your battle. I am going to act on your behalf. But I want you to position yourself. Now, it's interesting. God did not say, sit back, relax, I'll sort this out for you. He did say, the battle is the Lord's. You're not going to have to fight it. But he didn't say, sit back and relax. He said, position yourself. He put the people of Israel into a state of expectation that God would come through for them. It was a state of absolute trust and absolute faith in the promises that God had given them up to that point, in the, in the nature and the person of who God said he was. This is a prom- these are promises going back. We are God's chosen people. We are his and he is our God. He will defend us. He will look after us. Do you understand the, that this comes from, from a deep, deep place? And so they cry out to him and he says, position yourself. And I want to say to you today, that is the key. If we want to experience the grace of God at work in our lives, the power of God at work in our lives, the key is positioning. What do I mean by positioning? We are all positioned in Christ. We're born again. We're seated at the right hand of majesty. But the position I'm talking about is a position of the heart and a position of the mind. A position of full expectation that God is who He says He is and He will do what He says He will do. A position of obedience. Why? Because as I've said numerous times already, God is backing you according to His Word. And as I position myself in accordance with God's Word to me, that is both generic in terms of living a life that I know is right and pleasing before the Lord, as well as specific. Where God has said to you, 
I want you to sever that relationship. It's a hindrance to your spiritual growth. And you hold on to that relationship. You're sitting in a, you're in a problem. Because you're not going to be able to walk in and have full expectation that God will back you in that relationship because he's already said that relationship's a problem. It applies to your workplace. It applies to your finances. Many people are praying, God, would you provide for me? God, would you come through for me? I believe. How are you managing your finances? Are you managing your finances according to the word of God? You want God to come through for you, but you haven't positioned yourself in the place where God's power and provision comes through because you're you're not walking according to the Word. God will back you according to the Word. Not your preference, not what we think about it, not how we feel about it. Amen? Are you with me? So we carry on the story. It says, They rose early in the morning. They went out to the wilderness And as they went, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. So he's encouraging the people here. And when he counted the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord. They began to sing. And and again here we see there's no apathy in this position of waiting. They've heard what the Lord has said to them to do. He said, I will deliver you. And so as an act of their own faith, they have stepped out and said, we will position ourselves. In this case, it's physically, but I'm talking to you about a spiritual position. We position ourselves in the promise that you've given, and therefore we rejoice in it. We trust you completely. The evidence of our faith is the praise of our mouths. The evidence that we believe you is our obedience. And we sing of our victory in the midst of where we are at because we know that what your word has said and we believe it with all our hearts. They were fully persuaded that God would do what he said. And of course the Lord said ambushes against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir as they came out against Judah and they were defeated. Um... And yeah, they were basically destroyed. And they collected such vast amounts of plunder that day that it took them three days to collect all the plunder. And they returned to Jerusalem with singing and with rejoicing. What we see in this analogy that I've, I've given you today is a picture of bold faith of those who acted on God's word with full confidence and how God backed up his instruction with a mighty victory. God is not lax to act according to his word. Jeremiah 55 tells us that God's word never returns to him empty or void, but always accomplishes that which it sets out to do. Amen? It is not devoid of power. Now, this principle, like I've said, is founded upon a faith in what God says, not a presumption of what we think God will do or what we. And there's a danger in this. Because I've seen many people want to step out in faith in the area of presumption. God said something once, and so that applies as a generic rule. Or, you know, God wants to bless me, and He wants us to have the best, and therefore we should go and make a plan because, you know, I've seen too often people fall short on this one. And I'll give you another example from Scripture. Joshua and the army of Israel have just seen the walls of Jericho fall down. They've just conquered this formidable city by the hand and by the power of God. 
And Jeremiah 6, in which this is recorded, ends with the words, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the country. So again, God's with him. We see the evidence of that. But the very next chapter, we see a problem. Right after the destruction of Jericho, Achan, one of the Israelites, took hold of accursed things. And that was a sin. And so what happened is Joshua didn't know about this, that it, what had happened among the people of Israel. And there they were. They sent out spies to the nearby city of Ai. Ai and the spies came back and advised him. They said, it's not a big city. Send two or 3,000 men. And so Joshua said, all right, we'll just send two or 3,000 men. And they sent 3,000 men. He heeded their counsel, and it resulted in a calamitous defeat. They, they had to flee. So many died. And Joshua now tears his clothes, he cries out to God, and he says, why have you brought us out of, the, out of the desert and into this promised land to destroy us? And he's getting seriously melodramatic in front of God right now and pointing his finger saying, you, it just said you were with us. You just promised you were with us, and now we've gone up against these people and we've been defeated. And here's God's response. In essence, God says, Israel has sinned, Joshua. That's why they could not stand up against their enemies. And I will not be with you anymore unless you deal with this sin. Now, here's the point. What I want to highlight here is not the fact that there was a sin in the camp. I don't want to highlight the fact that, in, that, that when we tolerate and allow sin in our lives, how can we walk in sin and expect God to back us? That's not, that's, we can't. But that's not the issue that I want to point out to you today. What I want you to see is that had Joshua not assumed what to do against the city of Ai, had he sought the Lord before going into battle, I believe God would have revealed to him and said, Joshua, before you go up against anything or anyone, you've got something in your life that you need to sort out. You've got something in your, among the people of Israel that needs to be sorted out. He would have revealed the Achilles heel. He would have revealed the thing that prevented the victory from coming through. What was the reason that the victory wasn't won? Quite frankly, God wasn't with them. They walked in presumption. They went in presumption to fight a battle that they would easily, any other day, have been able to win with 3,000 men. That's why the, the spies said, the, the army is tired. They've just walked for seven days. <laughs> They're tired. Let them rest. It's a battle they should have won easily, but they went in with presumption. Many lives would have been spared. The sin would have been revealed, and it would have been dealt with. But instead, Joshua acted in presumption, and he suffered a great loss. God does not promise to back your good ideas. Men, that's why he gave us wives, because we come up with a lot of good ideas. And our wives remind us, God, however, will always back you according to His Word. And I want to say to you, perhaps this morning, the struggle you're facing is that you don't really believe that God can use you to bring His kingdom to bear. Maybe you think, oh, that's for pastors. Maybe you think, I'm not in the right environment I'm not smart enough. I'm not clever enough. But I want to say to you this morning, that's the very attribute that qualifies you. 
Listen to what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27 and 28. God has chosen those whom the world considers foolish to shame those who think they are wise. God has chosen the, the puny and the powerless to shame the high and mighty. Now, I'm not trying to assert on you that you are puny or powerless or foolish. But I am saying very often we consider ourselves unable, insignificant, uninfluential. And God says, those are the people that I want to use. He chose the lowly, the laughable in the world's eyes, nobodies, so that he would shame the somebodies. For he chose what is regarded as insignificant in order to supersede what was regarded as prominent, so that there would be no place for prideful boasting in God's presence. I mean, if we just look through the Bible at some of the people God chose to use mightily for His glory, and in different ways, not all of them were preachers. Some of them were statesmen. Some of them were servants. I mean, look at Moses. He was an outcast. He was a, Jew, a Hebrew fugitive with a stutter, and yet he became the statesman and the spokesman for God to the nation of Israel and to Pharaoh. Gideon, a fearful coward who God came into the situation and said, Oh, mighty man of valor. Talk about calling those things which be not as though they were. David, just a lowly shepherd boy. Nothing special about him apart from the fact that he trusted God. Jacob. Oh, Jacob, that mama's boy and that cheat. And he became the father of Israel. Rahab. A harlot. A prostitute. And yet she is in the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God used that woman, despite every, all, all the reasons that she ought to be disqualified, He used that woman to deliver Jericho into the hands of the nation of Israel. What about the New Testament? Let's talk about Peter and James and John and Andrew, these very significant, humble fishermen. Now think about fishermen, guys. Generally, these guys, we know they had boats. And so they were sailors. And you know what they say about the mouths of sailors, right? And yet God chose those mouths to preach His gospel. Just insignificant nobodies, just fishermen. Uneducated men. Matthew was a tax collector. He was, a, he was one of the crooked guys who was taking money and doing backhands and doing deals and all of the things we look at today and that make us cringe. Simon, Jude, and Judas were all fierce Jewish nationalists. nationalists. <laughs> they were following Jesus because they thought, it's time. It's time for us to take power. It's time for us to dominate. They had completely the wrong ideas, and yet God used them. What about the Apostle Paul, a murderous Pharisee, killing Christians? And God says, I've got a plan for you. And he changed him completely. The Bible is a wash with unsavory or shady characters that God chose to use whenever they believed His words and acted on them, He backed them. And I want to say to you, if God can use those men and those women by simply speaking words to them, giving them a vision, putting something before them and saying, this is what I want for you, as they obeyed Him, He backed them. I want to say... There is nothing stopping God from backing you. 
We, we, we look at all of these things from a New Testament context with the Holy Spirit literally indwelling who we are. And I want to close with this one scripture which really just articulates the greatness of what God can do in the life of those who believe and are willing to be obedient. We spoke about Peter and John. These are both fishermen. They are uneducated men. And what happens is the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost and people get healed, people get saved. And so the next day, the beautiful gate, there's someone there that says, rise up and walk. You know the story. And this got them in a whole bunch of hot water. And now they have to stand before the Sanhedrin, which is a bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and very somber people who are now going to judge these men for what they have been doing and for the message they're preaching. And so they give their defense to this religious authority. And Acts 4.13 from the Passion Translation says this, The council members were astonished when they witnessed the bold courage of Peter and John, especially when they discovered that these were just ordinary men who had never had religious training. Then they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. Wow. What made the difference? God was with them, and they were with God. They had spent time with Jesus. And his words and his instructions had so impacted them that they spoke with authority and wisdom that was way beyond anything they could have done in the natural. Folks, God will always back you according to His Word. And as you leave this house today, and as you go into your week, be aware, be very conscious of the words that God has spoken to you. What is God speaking to you? And I I pray that as I'm speaking this morning, some things are going to come to your heart. Maybe prophetic words that God has spoken over your life to give you direction. Maybe words of correction you haven't acted upon yet. Maybe words of, of things that He wants you to set in place or establish, habits, spiritual disciplines in your life that you've been dragging your feet on. I want to say to you that God, as you set your heart to walk in obedience, God will back you and His grace will be sufficient for you. And He will enable you to accomplish that which seems impossible to you. That which you say there's no time for, I don't have time for that. That which you say is impossible. That for which you say I don't have the resources for that. God will make up the difference and more as you step out in obedience to Him. Please stand with me. Father, I want to thank you this morning that in you we have exceedingly great and precious promises. As we've sung all our songs this morning, that you are the way maker, you're the miracle worker, you are good, you are faithful. God, we sing all of these things and we believe them. But Father God, so often our belief is skin deep. It remains in the realm of of our mental capacity. Father, I want to thank you that this morning you're reminding us that the simplicity of faith is obedience. It is to trust your word, to apply it, and to walk in it.
to be salt and to be light, to be your hands, to be your feet, to be those who speak words of life into the lives of those around us, who call out of them the value that you have placed inside. Thank you, Father, that every one of us here this morning has been strategically placed in a position of influence for your glory and for your kingdom. Thank you that every one of us here this morning have a wonderful plan from you over our lives. It is a good plan. It is a plan that will enable your kingdom to come to fruition here in this earth. First in our lives and then through our lives. And this morning, Father God, I want to pray that as we, as we have heard this word this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us afresh with such an awareness of your presence that we know that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that wherever we go, you are with us, that you are backing us, and that you will always back us according to your word. Lord, give us a boldness, I pray, in the name of Jesus. The same way that Peter and John prayed for greater boldness, I pray for boldness, Lord God, to act upon your word, to pray for those who are sick, to speak the words of life and to share the good news, Father God, with those around us and give you room and space to back up your word with signs and wonders and miracles following. Your word is powerful. It is alive as, it, as much today as it is the day you spoke it. And so, Father, I want to pray that as we go into our week, we go with an awareness that we do not go alone, but you are backing us. And that your power comes to bear as we walk out your word in obedience and trust. So we commit our hearts to you. We commit this week to you. And I want to pray, Lord God, for wonderful manifestations and realizations of you at work in and through our lives this week. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.